0: To Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to read a couple of verses from there, and then in the next uh, few minutes, I'm going to try and do the impossible and uh, just share with you what I believe God has put on my heart for this morning. And Romans chapter 5, we're looking at uh, our new strap line, we've come to the third part of that strap line. Uh, to make Jesus Christ known. And uh, I'm looking at it this week. Ed Walker, in some senses, will be looking at it a little bit differently next week as he will be looking at uh, what would Jesus say to the LBGT community? What would Jesus say to them? A week later, Chris Duffett. Who's the city centre chaplain here in Peterborough? Will be coming and speaking about being ambassadors for Jesus and what it means and how we can be ambassadors for Jesus. But today, I want us to. Would help if I turned it on. I want us to look at the gospel. What is the good news? What is the good news that we proclaim? that we say, that we hold, that we sing about, that we claim is our own? What is that good news that we declare? And I'm going to read from verse uh, 6 in Romans chapter 5. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, Have we been reconciled? Shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The good news. Mark begins his gospel, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. And... uh, Throughout his gospel there, and the, and the gospel of Luke, there's this whole theme of there being good news, of Jesus coming to proclaim good news. In his opening words to his ministry, he says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. We might say, Jesus, well, Jesus, what is the good news? What is the good news? If we take a step back for a moment right into the birth narratives. What is it that the, shep- that the angels declare to the shepherds? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will, c- that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Again, I proclaim to you good news. We are called to be good news people. That's who we're called to be. But then what we need to have is also a clarity as to what that good news is. Is it just simply enough to go up to somebody and say, God loves you? Is that all that the good news is? God loves you? As powerful as that is, is that enough? Is it enough to go up to somebody and say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. If only you put your trust in him. Is that the good news that we share? Is that the gospel that we have? So this morning, just very briefly, we're going to look at the very core message of the Christian faith. Because if we don't get this right, then we're not making the real Jesus known. We're not making the real Jesus known. And it's all bound up in two words. And I don't want to scare you with these two words. Substitutionary atonement. They sound big, they sound theological, they sound deep, and they sound full of mystery, if you like. Well, they're not. They're quite simple, they're quite straightforward, really. But what is it? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Two, two verses that I love. Two verses that I'm often quoting and using with people because they bring us to the heart of the gospel. They bring us to the heart of what God's love is all about. So what are these two words? Let's take the word atonement first. To make a payment to satisfy the demands of justice. Now, you won't believe this, but there was a time when I got a speeding fine. You know, I don't look like that, do I? But, you know, that's the reality. I got a speeding ticket. What had to happen was that, yes, I had to pay a fine. I had to pay a fine. I had to atone. I had to atone for my wrongdoing by going and making that fine, that payment. And to atone means a payment that satisfies the demands of justice. And once I'd paid that fine, I had satisfied the demands of justice. i would learned a very big lesson as well, that, yeah, you do take notice of the speed cameras there. But to atone... Whoop. substitutionary to take the place of someone else to take the place of someone else I don't know many of you yesterday probably watched football or listened to football and at some point in the match there would be a substitute they would be set onto the pitch to take the place of somebody else and that's what a substitute is somebody who takes the place now, we're going to put those two together this morning. Substitutionary atonement. There. When we put these two words together, we have the essence of the Christian gospel, the Christian faith, the good news. That God has arranged for someone else to atone for our sins, our mess ups, our failures, our disasters. Someone has taken our place. And made a a payment that satisfies the demands of justice. And it is this that that separates us from all other world religions. This is what what puts the Christian faith as unique. This substitutionary atonement. In all other world religions, you have to self-atone. You have to approve yourselves by whether it that by praying so many times a day whether that's going on pilgrimage whether that's living by the rules or whatever it's self advancement but here god has made a way that someone else has made atonement for you and for me someone else has paid the price Of our wrongdoing. The Christian message is all about accepting and signing up to God's atonement plan. Now, I don't know whether I'm going to do it, but a quick run through the Bible in about five minutes. I'm not going to do it, but don't worry. Go back to creation, right at the beginning. God creates. A tremendous world, an awesome world, full of beauty, full of creat- creativity, full of gorgeous things. And at the heart of that creation, he puts a man and he puts a woman. And he says to that man and woman, he says, go and enjoy this world that I have made, made that I have given you. I give you everything. Enjoy it. Go and procreate. Fill it. Just love what are my blessings for you. But he says, don't, don't touch that tree. Everything else you can have. Everything else you can have. But don't touch that tree. Because that's the tree of good and evil. And I don't want you to eat that. Well, you know what it is, don't you? When you're, somebody, you're, you're told, don't do that, the first thing you want to do is go and do it. All of us who have been parents will know that with our children. But we know it from our own lives, don't we? Somebody tells me I, don't want, I shouldn't do that. But the temptation is that, I'll go and do it. And yes, we know the story. That they went and did it. They ate of the fruit. And suddenly their eyes were opened. And where before they had known no shame, they'd known no guilt, they didn't know that they were naked running around this garden. Suddenly they were aware of their nakedness. Suddenly they found the weight of heavy, heavy guilt fall upon them. Suddenly they tried to cover their nakedness with a few fig, fig leaves, a few oak leaves, and you know that's not very very easy, is it? Until God comes to God and says, God, what's happened? And the man says, Well, she told me, and the woman says, No, he told me the snake. But what it was, ends up was that if you eat of the tree of that good that, that that good and evil, then you will surely die. And they're excluded from the garden. They're pushed out from all the goodness of God's creation. But you know what God did before He did that? He was very gracious to them. The scriptures tell us that He clothed them with animal skins. Do you know what happened? Probably for the first time ever in the whole creation order, something had to die. Something had to die. God killed an animal to give them the skins. He didn't go to John Lewis and get it off the peg. He killed an animal to cover their nakedness and shame. Move on, a few th- hundred years. The Egypt, Exodus, the people of Israel are there. they're slaves in Egypt. They thought it was a place of redemption, but over a period of time they've become slaves to hard taskmasters. And their cry had gone up to God, God, where are you? God, save us! And God had heard their cry, and he sends Moses and Aaron to them. And then there's the ten plagues that come, trying to convince Pharaoh to set God's people free. But he wouldn't listen. And so ultimately, God said, I've had enough! I will send the angel of death. And the angel of death will pass over them. It's time for judgment. And I will take the firstborn of every household, every animal, every child, every slave, the firstborn. But if you kill a lamb, and if you take the blood of the lamb, and you daub it over the the doorpost, and if you stay in that house, then the angel of death will pass over you. And will not touch you. And so the Israelite nation partook of the Passover. And they daubed the doorposts with the blood. And the angel of death passed over them. But for the Israelite nation, the scriptures tell us, there was wailing that had never been heard on the earth before as they woke up to the re- awesome reality of the judgement of God but for the people of Israel it led to their freedom and so it moves on that throughout there, there becomes this sacrificial system that when somebody messed up they had to bring something something had to die something had to die and so then there's the Day of Atonement. You read all about it in Leviticus 16 where something really interesting <coughs> happens here. Yes, this was a, a, the, the biggest day in the nation's history calendar. And on that day, two goats would come and they'd be presented to the priest. One would die. One would die, would be killed and its blood would be offered on the altar before God, be taken into the inner sanctuary and offered on the altar. The other goat, the priest would come and he would lay his hands on this goat and he'd say something like this I declare that that, that in the power of the name of the almighty God of Israel I declare that all your sins, all your wrongdoings, all your shame, all your guilt, all the things that you have messed up over, now I place upon the head of this goat. And after he'd prayed, someone else would then take that goat and lead it off into the desert and let it loose. And you know what happened? That goat would die. That goat would die. So far have I separated your sins from you. As far as the east is from the west. But there, someone had to die. We move into the New Testament. What is it? John the Baptist has come. And he's come as a prophet. And he's telling people to repent. And he's got his disciples all around him. And his disciples are there and he's teaching them and he's sharing them and he looks up and he sees this man coming towards him and he turns to his disciples and he says, Look! The Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He didn't say, Look! A man who is a moral preacher He didn't say, a man who is the expression of God's love, although he was. He said, look, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Then the ministry of Jesus, as Sam said last week, There were so many people who just wanted to make Jesus the revolutionary. They wanted him to turn over the Romans. They wanted him to establish again the kingdom of Israel as it was in the times of David. But Jesus said, no, no, none of that. None of that. And throughout his ministry, he said things like that he was to suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, rise and be raised to life. Jesus knew. Knew where he was going. Then there's that wonderful occasion there. The Last Supper. Jesus is there with his disciples sharing the Passover. When suddenly he turns into the table and he picks up the bread on the table and he rips it. And he says, this is my body. This is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. And he picks up the cup. And he says, this is my blood. Poured out for you. Given for you. Take it and drink it. Can you just imagine those disciples for a moment? Whoa, Jesus, what are you saying? Your body, your blood. But there's the lamb. Surely. And a few hours later, there he hangs on that cross. Broken, blooded, dying. And in the agonies of those moments... He cries out, It is finished. It is finished. And the curtain in the temple is torn in two. And the sky goes black. And the ground trembles. And it is finished. No more blood sacrifices. No more lambs. No more need to the offer sacrifices for sin. Because it is finished. It is finished. This one sacrifice has paid it all for all time, for all people, for everyone through the generations. Atonement has been made for all. And what is it that Isaiah prophesied? And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all yes David your sin John yours yours tricks President Putin's Donald Trump's Theresa May's ISIS God laid it all on him In my place, condemned, he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Substitutionary atonement. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I did nothing to accomplish it. I did nothing to make myself worthy of it. In fact, I've done everything I possibly could to push him away. And yet God demonstrated his love. God demonstrated his love for you and for me, for each and every one of us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Christ died for us. I've got more here. I'm not quite sure in terms of the morning. But you see, we can move on into the New Testament. And then Paul says to the church at Corinth, Look, I want to tell you what's first importance. 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's what he said. And on the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. That's first importance. That's the heart of the gospel there. But it doesn't stop there because we've already touched upon it. You come through to the book of Revelation and you've run through the whole of the Bible of the scriptures and you're there, you're confronted. You're confronted with the throne. And there on the throne sits the majesty himself, God himself. And who's there? A lamb. A lamb who has been slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive wisdom and power. So they cry there. And you see there within the scriptures it talks that one day there will come a day of reckoning. When, yes, we will come and we will stand before that throne. And they say that books will be opened. We can't begin to comprehend what it will be like, but you know what it is that what we're sent to think is, well, when the day of judgment comes, as it will, as it will, nothing can be more certain than death and judgment we stand before the throne and there in the presence of God. Many people think that God will open his ledger and on the one side there will be all the good things that you've done and on the other side will be all the naughty things that you've done. And we sort of like to think, or people like to think, that God will weigh them in a balance and as long as the good things outweigh the bad things, you're okay. But no, That's not it. There will be one question that God will ask on that day of judgment. Whose atonement plan did you sign up for? Whose atonement plan? You can make your choice. You can have your self-atonement plan. You can choose to live your life just as you want, how you want. Make your decisions with no reference to God or just a passing wave. Hi God, nice to see you, good to see you. But live your own life as you want. You can do that. Please yourself. Ignoring the constant call that God makes upon us. He says, hi, I'm here. Come to me. I'm knocking. And we can ignore it, and we can ignore it, and we could ignore it and say, Oh, I should be all right. I do this, and I do that, and I do the other, and I follow this charity, and I support that charity, and I always look after Mrs. Jones down the road and make sure she's okay. I should be all right because I've got it sorted. But the Bible is very clear. That there will come that day of separation. And he says that I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evil do- doers. And he says this: there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. What a lovely expression. We don't use it today, do we? There'll be weeping. Do you remember the weeping of the Egyptians there at the Exodus? A real weeping of despair. Why didn't I kill a lamb? Why didn't I put the blood on the doorposts? My Johnny wouldn't have been taken from me. But he's saying also there'll be gnashing of teeth. Not an expression we use, is it? The best way that I can think of it is that it's only happened to me once. You've got your day planned, you know the train that you're catching, but the traffic's a bit tight, the traffic is a bit tight, and you know you're pushed for time, and you get held up at the uh, traffic lights, and you get held up at the traffic lights, and you get held up at the traffic lights, and you know, yes, I can make it, but you rush into the station, and you rush onto the platform just as the train. Ah! And you suddenly realise your whole day has gone up in smoke. And what this is saying is, don't live in regret. Don't live in regret. Because that's where self-atonement will take you. That's where it will take you. To self-regret. God calls us to his atonement plan. He demonstrates his own love to us in that this, that Christ Jesus died whilst we were sinners. And he says, this is the good news. This is the good news. Have you embraced it? Have you welcomed it? that yes, we can know God. We can know that the slate is wiped clean. Do you come this morning in your brokenness? Do you come this morning in your guilt and in this sense of shame? It's all been wiped clean because of the blood of Jesus. Because of what he did at Calvary. You and I can know God. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel that we're called to declare. The gospel that we're called to tell. The gospel that we're called to share. Yes, it's good to say God loves you. But how has God loved you? This is how he loved me. He hung upon a cross. He shed his blood. He died. He took the punishment of my sin. He took. He paid the penalty. He's given to me life, life everlasting. We're going to share communion. I'm conscious I've gone over time. It's ten o'clock, but we're going to share communion. That's the gospel. As we come to communion this morning, I want, to, I want you to come just as you are. I want you to come whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or five minutes. I want you to come and say, Lord, open my eyes that so I might see again your love as if for the first time. Because some of us perhaps need to come to that cross again and let our eyes be opened again the depths of his love of his mercy and of his grace and if you've never come to that cross I'd urge you this morning as you come and you take bread and you drink wine I'd urge you to do that to come and simply say Lord all my life I've tried to make myself good enough but now I realise that I cannot I've tried to make myself good enough to be accepted by you, but today I realise that I can't. Today I put my trust in your son, who stood in my place, who took the punishment that my sin deserved, who's given me hope, life and forgiveness, and I accept him today into my life.